Welcome one and all to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalis here. And today we have a, a lot to talk about. There's uh, obviously the Ontario election. We want to go over there's so many different corrupt politicians that we want to touch on. Just these stories keep coming and coming. But I just wanted to take just, just a brief moment as we begin to think about if you were in a situation, and you know, hopefully you aren't, where you are being accosted and if not actively assaulted by 10 people screaming at you, getting in your face, almost spitting in your face, doing everything they can to menace you, I think most human beings would react poorly in this situation. But uh, this week we had to see yet again here in Canada, another minority leader acting as cool as they possibly could to active abuse and what seemed like real threats of violence. I'm talking about what happened this week in Peterborough to Jagmeet Singh. If you haven't seen the video, we're going to have some of the audio playing uh, in the background just a little yeah, bit, but it's, it's just... Trigger warning for yeah. some slurs and just a whole lot of swearing. It's just absolutely horrifying because I, I think there is an expectation that if you're a politician that you deserve in many cases to be yelled at and yeah. protested to. But if yep. you see this video, it goes above and beyond. And could you imagine, honestly, it's a bit of a trite bit, but what if other people like this, what if minorities did this to Doug Ford? Like, what would be the response? Yeah. I don't think they could get that close. I don't think they'd ever be able yeah, to. Yeah, like, they, I could yeah, not believe be how threatening this really looked like. And then once again, we had to have, see Singh just being cool, smiling, and, and going into his vehicle. Like, you know, at, at some point, what are what is the expectation of safety for politicians and like this fucking double standard is just insane like if you haven't seen it folks you you have to look because yeah it's like, really claustrophobic there's mm -hmm. a bunch of different videos but like yeah he comes out basically he's in peterborough to help uh open up a, an ndp campaign office there uh for one of the for the one of the candidates in the provincial election um and a whole bunch of uh they're not just anti-vaxxers, but they're like anti-vaxxers. They're part of that broad kind of movement. Yeah, they call themselves uh, they're, Hold they're, Fast, which is yeah, just insane. And they're calling himself, they're calling him a traitor. They're calling him racial slurs. Mm. Uh, they're just a whole bunch of F-bombs. They're crowding him. To my view, no one gets directly physical. Uh, they let him get in his car, to be fair. But like, it, it's it's beyond what you would expect in like a peaceful, yeah. full, like it. it you know, it's not a violent protest, but it also goes what you'd expect beyond peaceful. It's not like they stood on either side of the door and, you know, yelled at him on the way to his car. They sort of surrounded him in that sense, right? Kind of hounded yeah. him. Mm -hmm. It was it was pretty concerning. And I mean, Singh has dealt with this stuff before. I think a couple, maybe, I think it was during the 2019 election, maybe, 
where somebody like came up to him near Parliament Hill and was like, I'm doing a citizen's arrest on you, if you remember this. Yeah. Something like that over over some sort of policy. I, I forget what it was. But it was another one of these moments where it's like, you know, Singh, because, you know, he's a he's an opposition party leader and he's, you know, not not even the official opposition, I don't know if he gets like security yeah. to to come with him, I'm not sure. But it's clearly evident that like you know, he's sort of just walking with his team to his car. And these, and these videos that just... you saw were also from the agitators. Like, it, it wasn't as if these are reporters looking at it. These are the people that were proud. Yeah, they were proud of this. They were proud they of this that stuff, close. Yeah. And I know you said it's not violent, but when he's getting in his van, we do have, like, there's dudes smacking on the windows. Yeah, like, yeah. No, I, yeah, I shouldn't downplay these it. These are big like, guys, he was, too. He wasn't literally struck. Yeah. I guess I guess what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah. You know, Singh wasn't literally beaten. The car wasn't, you know, uh, to my knowledge, like like they didn't try to break the windows with objects or anything of that sort. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's not as if, you know, like you would see in a more traditional protest where, you know, people would sort of line up in the, you know, in the perimeter and yeah, maybe get heated and maybe say some things that, that, that are that are unsavory. I think it was a level beyond that yeah. is from what I can tell. Right. Even though maybe no laws were technically broken type thing. Yeah, it is. It is interesting just to see. And, you know, as I said, a bit of a, a hack bit, but the uh, double standard for other politicians are, is absolutely ludicrous. Like, I, I, I do feel like we do live in a world where if this was happening to Doug Ford and he swang on protesters, he would go up in the polls. But once again, Singh has to be completely cool and calm, act like there's no issue. And uh, yeah, just another little horrifying glimpse of, you know, how we treat different people in our uh, country here. Yeah, but I, I'm not seeing a big response from, not too much of a response anyway, saying this needs to to stop or there's going to be a big change. Obviously, there have been some very strong voices here, but uh, from what we saw of what happened in Ottawa and how the police if not facilitated, were at least aware of the convoy protests there and, and what could have led to a very violent situation. Like, it's just, it, it's depressing to be reminded of that, that even when you are one of the most visible and famous people in this country, because you look a little different, and I think in many ways try to be quite progressive and, you know, give people, people that don't have something maybe a bit of a chance you can still be nearly oh, yeah. beat to shit like it's oh, just yeah. sing gets this harder than he would if he was if he was just some white guy i'm not saying like look yeah if charlie angus was leader and did the exact same thing these these freaks would be mad at him too there's no doubt there's no doubt he'd get the heat but sing gets it way more um than than he would have yeah. If he was like, you know, Jerry Smith <laughs> instead of Jugmeet Singh, right? A hundred percent. And if it was a woman of color, it might even be worse. Maybe. I don't know. You know what I mean? It might yeah. even be worse than this. So like, yeah, a hundred percent, one hundred percent. You know, there's and it feeds into this narrative that, oh, he doesn't understand us. He doesn't represent us. He's a traitor. It feeds into the, you know, implicit and explicit narratives of like the disloyal immigrant, even though he's literally born in Canada. You know these sorts of narratives. What do they think he did? Too. Progressive, like, racialized politicians in the states. Like, yeah, it's not a coincidence that the look at the people that Trump always targeted. It was actually yeah. it was Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, AOC, Ayanna Presley, most of which were actually endorsed Chuck Meat. Three, three of those four, mm. I think, endorsed Chuck Meat. Um, but um, you know, it, yeah, hundred percent. Like it's racism. It's just insanity. 
Um, and look, Pete, like, like, look, just because he didn't get hurt, it shows. Yeah. Like, what if one of those people wanted to to, to hurt him? Yeah. Right? What, if, what if he didn't get in the car just like a little bit quicker? Yeah. Like, or I, like, I, or I don't like overplay just, it, you know, but you got to see the those video, pe- man. Yeah. All the what if like you know those people were all you know like insane and like monstrous, but like none of them were necessarily criminal. But what if one more person came and that person was? Yeah. Right. Like you know what I mean? Like who knows? Right. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's it, it it's it's a big issue, and like we're not even in an election right now, federally, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know the the far right is is getting amped up, and like look, people got to keep hammering Polly Evra for this. Absolutely, really the whole conservative party. But like, look, I I think you know people like Chade, to his credit, has sort of denounced the convoyers and and these types of people. I believe Patrick Brown has at least partially as well, but Polly Evra hasn't. He's clearly the front runner. Unless something big happens, he's going to win the conservative leadership. They're having a debate right now. Andy and I, frankly, don't give a fuck, so we're no. not watching. We're recording this. Yeah, um, no you know, like, I, I don't care to see, like, who wins the racist off. But, like, <laughs> Polyevra is, like, you know, he, he, he he's endorsing these people. He is. Yeah. He is endorsing these people. Like, the metaphorical blood would be on his hands. Yeah. And he's not going to fucking take responsibility, just like he's not going to take responsibility since for the fact that since he told people to buy crypto, oh, crypto's yeah. down like 39%. I did want to get into uh, that. He's That's just going so to roll eh? off of it. Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> like, it's like, let's, let's like be real here. These are, these are PPP. These are Pierre, Pierre Polyevra's people. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Most of them are either with him or they're with the PPC or, or maybe a little bit of both. Like they'll, you know, temporarily quit the PPC to vote for him or something. Um, and this is what his vision of Canada entails. Yeah. 100%. He might say differently. Maybe we'll get some angry Pierre Polyevra supporters. Like, look, man, he just wants to take banking away from the Jews. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> but like, fundamentally, like, that's Pierre Polyevra's vision. Yeah. And it's almost more dangerous Whether because, he intends yeah. it or not. Yeah, it's almost more dangerous because he see he will lend an air of legitimacy in his sort of nerdy Charlie Kirk representation of these absolute lunatics. Listen, everyone talking right now on the uh, CPC uh, leadership stage, they're all lunatics. They're all ghouls. They're all very, very bad people. But I think the danger of Polyevra, considering his success, is the fact that he can absolutely win likely will and at this point in time probably even a good chance of becoming prime minister if he lends even a little bit of credence to the worst sort of people the worst sort of people in his base then we're going to see a country that is worse and i just uh, you touched on it there and I, i absolutely love that he spent so much of the early part of his leadership campaign talking not even necessarily about crypto but specifically on Bitcoin, like he, he was aiming on that of how it was inflation proof. And we just saw in the last month and the last week with a, you know, a period on that of how hilariously wrong that is and how you can literally lose. I think you said it was 49 percent. Like it's absolutely. Insane. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a lot. It's a yeah. lot. It's taking a steep decline. Imagine yeah. if our imagine if we were basing our currency on that. Imagine if we actually yeah. did what Mr. PP wanted us to do. Like I, what d- situation would be in? But, you know, I wonder if he will get, you know, 
stab for that tonight but it is just it's a depressing moment to uh consider and probably if you're a person of color that lived in canada as i said before you're just gonna be like yeah guys this has been going this way for a long time thanks for uh you know saying what we all already experienced but i think it's important that there is a level of sensitivity in your politicians especially if they help mold the young minds of of people in your uh, your kids and your city people you know in your neighborhoods wouldn't you know it ontario education minister stephen leach participated in a slave auction yes indeed during his times as frat house leader when he attended western he was the uh leader of his particular uh frat the sigma chai sigma chi which is one of the oldest active fraternities on the campus and uh yeah he took part of this not you know 30 40 years ago but within the last 20 years and just anecdotally, uh, Christo, I don't know if you've ever spent any time in uh, Western or in that area of London, but uh, I went to uh, school about four or five years after Leach uh, graduated, and I had a very good friend that that went to Western who was uh, black, and I could not believe how many random white frat dudes would just scream the n-word yeah. in the streets like it just it definitely maybe that's it's improved by then I mean, I'm, Western I'm not exactly has certain. a certain reputation yeah and i think this certainly bolsters that odious <laughs> reputation I mean, queens has that to some degree as well i mean i went to university in the maritimes for my undergrad mm-hmm. i went to queens for my master's and phd uh which of course you know grad school is very different you're you're sort of totally in many ways totally disconnected from the undergraduate culture uh but we didn't like have frats and sororities in the maritimes like i don't like i I always thought that was a purely american thing Mm -hmm. i didn't even know they existed period in canada uh sort of learned about those things a little bit yeah but like it just seems like it's the worst kind of thing and i mean you know as far as leche scandals go it's probably not even one of the biggest i mean he had bigger scandals just with like how he handled schools and (laughs) isn't that a little upsetting like, we I do have know. a prime minister who, you know, wore blackface. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and I, yeah, but it's, it's, it's disgusting. And it's, uh, it just showcases, I think, how maybe his approach to education hasn't been <laughs> equity based. Right. And I mean, look, he's not the only one. I mean, like just on personal scandals, a liberal candidate, I think he just got uh, turfed today, just got bopped. The liberals didn't have a chance in the riding, but I think Perry Scowen, Muskoka, uh, a liberal candidate wrote a book, an entire, like a book-ass, book-length project on how babies become gay when they breathe too much of their own breath back in or oh something. Oh, God, I knew it. Was it was weird. Yeah, you got, you got, yeah. I don't know how they missed a literal book, which is available for sale on Amazon. In any case, they turfed him. But I think the biggest scandals are actually, like, a little bit less sexy and they no. have to deal with like how the conservative party is basically enriching a lot of their MPPs, right? I don't know. Yeah, no, we can get one, into yeah. that. Just I, I yeah. wanted to to hit that on the head a little bit. Yeah, a little bit stronger here that For we sure. saw what the education minister did in the last I want to say eight to twelve months during COVID, how he and Doug Ford were responsible for 
creating an environment and schools that was just not safe. We remember at the beginning of the year, they had to close it down again because even though they had the information, they chose not to act on it. There was some speculation that had specifically to do with lobbyist interests, the great report from the Toronto Star on that. So this guy, and even before that, he was absolutely responsible for, for cutting education budgets and defending that and trying to say that we would you know get along with what we had. This dude has done much worse things than this very bad thing that he did in university, but there wasn't a call for him to resign from that. There are now calls from the NDP that he has to and the liberals that it needs to be done, but you know, he apologized and he likely won't be affected because like you said, we have a prime minister that just loves blackface and in his youth just couldn't stop. Not in his youth. He was an adult. He was a teacher when he decided yeah, to do yeah, it. Yeah, he was an adult for at least some for some <laughs> yeah. of the later ones. But yeah, it's just yeah, like, sure. at, at what point do anything we do, politicians do actually matter beyond the, I think it's also important, but these identity politics issues. Like when does it become at all accountable for what a politician has done during their tenure. If they do bad shit, they can be bad people and they should leave. Like I just, we, we seem to have this notion still here in Canada that if you're an elected politician and you do horrible things on the job, as long as you respect a certain level of decorum or um, just general respectfulness, it really doesn't matter how bad you can be. And you, you touched on it there. Uh, Doug Ford, just like straight up corruption and seeming just bribery. Like this, this story is wild. Like, uh, do you got it there, Chris? Yeah. So basically what's been happening is the conservatives through riding associations have been paying out pretty hefty bonuses to a lot of their MPPs. Now this sounds kind of like technical, but you know, MPPs get a salary and they also get, um, they also get, you know, certain expenses. Uh, and sometimes, to be fair, when people aren't yet elected, uh, riding associations may choose to help those candidates cover some of their basic, like, cost of living while they run. Because, you know, if, uh, you know, they they have to take time off work to run and they're not making a salary, they might do that. But it's not expected that MPPs get paid by their riding associations when they're drawing a salary. Yeah. And yet we find that I think it's no fewer than eight conservative MPPs, which is more than 10% of the caucus, is, excuse me, is that they got, uh, you know, in some cases, dozens of thousands of dollars from riding associations. Mm -hmm. uh, and the conservatives are trying to downplay this by saying it's just, you know, the, the opposition trying to score points or, you know, this is what the democratically elected riding associations have chosen to do with um, their money, and that's true to an extent, but it's also the case that, one, members of the Conservative Party may not have consented to having their money go to enrich um, uh, <laughs> Conservative MPs, MPPs, yeah. and critically, I don't know if this is the best use of the money, considering that, in many cases, a good chunk of what any riding gets is actually paid by all of us. Mm. Because don't forget, if you donate anything up to $400 in a year to a provincial party or what have you, the first 400, you get rebated 75%, which means that for every dollar given up to a certain amount, really it's the taxpayers of Ontario that yeah. are giving 75 cents, right? You cut a check to the NDP for a hundred bucks. Really the taxpayers are paying for 75 of that, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, and so what you're seeing in, in some cases here 
is that like uh is that some of these MPPs, including who are cabinet ministers and stuff, meaning they make more than the minimum amount that the average MPP at Queen Park makes, Queens Park makes, uh, are getting massive bonuses. And of course, at the top of the list is Lisa McLeod, who is most famous for, I believe. <sighs> I, I, at least allegedly inebriated at an Ottawa Senators thing. Oh yeah, she's Calling, done. She's this? got great hits. She's got greatest yeah. hits. Remember Saying, what she said? Like, Don't you? Autism? I'm your minister or something. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Like you, but yeah, you know, yeah. So she's 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 famous for for being infamous. Yeah. <laughs> well, she had the great bit when I believe she was. I I forget the exact ministry, but her great enemy was autistic moms and their kids. Yeah, yes. Like that yes. that was when she just basically cut it in ways where it destroyed the lives of of so many Ontarians that relied on the needed therapies that are just absolutely required and in some ways uh life-saving depend on the level of autism that uh, your child has and she tried to dig her heels in and this was one of the great moments i think in canadian politics in ontario politics at least where she was so hated and fucked up so bad that there was enough support in maybe a base that mattered to Doug Ford that she was turfed and didn't have that position anymore, which I, I couldn't, like, I remember that was actually a, a big move. But yeah, she, like you said, top of the list got extra, what was it, $12,000, $18,000 on top of her yeah, 165000 Well, it's it's actually more, it says, it more according to Constituency Association annual return filings made publicly available on the Ontario Elections website, McLeod, who who again gets a salary of one sixty five eight fifty one, McLeod first received an expense allowance in twenty seventeen along with a housing allowance of more than twelve thousand dollars. She then received eighteen thousand two hundred dollars for MPP expenses and allowances in twenty eighteen, another sixteen thousand seven hundred for MPP housing and uh, AXP allowance in twenty nineteen. And ninety five hundred for MPP allowance in twenty twenty from the association. Mississauga East Cooksville candidate Rashid, Khalid Rashid, who served as the associate minister of digital government, was given a total of twenty three thousand in allowances from his PC Riding Association bank account. So none of this is illegal, to be clear, as far <laughs> as I can tell. None of this is illegal. This is not a crime issue necessarily, as long as everything is being reported to. The, the elections Ontario and I'm guessing they probably have to claim this on their on their taxes to the to the CRA because this is probably considered income maybe their accountants have some questions right now I don't know <laughs> but like uh fundamentally I, I I think this shows again that like and maybe this segues us into our our next discussion but uh one these ghouls just keep ripping off their taxpayer and their supporters and whatnot really making it about themselves and to a party that basically refuses to do nothing for the most vulnerable are mm-hmm. pulling in party paid bonuses far greater than what we give the most vulnerable people in Ontario who are more often than not people with disabilities. Yeah. Right. And so I think one thing we do want to talk about in this podcast is how all three of the major parties have and like, look, and I say this as an NDP, NDP supporter have essentially said, just please go off into the corner and if not die, then at least be quiet and stop bothering us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and what? this is where it is. Like, I mean, Lisa McLeod is getting bonuses here that are what a, you know, a person with disabilities would have to wait well, well more than a year to get. And mm-hmm. she's just getting it. 
I guess because the writing association likes her. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's falling through the cracks while we can't actually have the needed legislation to take care yeah. of the people that that absolutely need it. And, that, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, if we go to our Discord here, we got a lot of questions about, you know, the different policies. We have this big Ontario election. What are the platforms of the the different parties? And I think that, you know, we were, we we're talking about this before we started recording I think the need to understand the minutia of each different party in this year of our Lord 2022 is not really that important. We've seen what happens when any major uh, political party takes control. It's just not true, no matter how progressive that we've seen, that that platform is going to be you know, achieved to the letter even, or even marginally. Like the big hits are the things that are important and something that unfortunately isn't getting the, uh, you know, the, the coverage that perhaps it should be is how all of the major parties are trying to deal with and effectively help those that are living in our province that have disabilities and have an inability to work or a difficulty to for at least a short amount of time. It is an essential service that we saw how essential it was while CERB was happening and while we were going through the pandemic. We saw that if you got... $2,000 $2,000 a month and you are an average Canadian or an average Ontarian, yeah. there was a very good chance that you would be okay. But for some reason in this province and, and many disabled advocates have talked about this, yeah. that is just not the same amount. It's far less than those who are d- disabled get each month, even though they're experiencing, if not worse, the same thing sort of things, the inability yeah. to work that millions of Ontarians did uh, yeah. while the pandemic was going on. And that money was essential. It was needed. And we recognize that like it, it wasn't just pulled yeah. out of the air like this yeah. was known. But for some reason, still now, while an election yeah. is happening, there is no major party that is getting to that Serb number. Andrew Horvath yeah. is not hitting that. Yeah. So what is that about? What is happening here, Chris? Yeah, yeah. So if we go back to COVID, I mean, one of the pieces of discourse was that uh, Serb was particularly designed to say fuck you go off and die to the poorest people that was justin trudeau's decision uh five thousand dollar minimum income all of those sorts of qualifications basically saying to the poorest you're too poor to get help Mm -hmm. um and in particular a lot of people with disabilities were left out and the question very quickly although we should mention that plenty of people with disabilities work and work full time and work way more than full time. But, you know, a a lot of people with disabilities who, for a variety of reasons, didn't qualify for the CERB were once again left saying, "Okay, you've sort of acknowledged that like 2K per person is like sort of the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's not a scientific study or anything. And, you know, cost of living differs from place to place and context to context. But you sort of said like 2K is the minimum, right? We sort of all agreed 2K is the minimum, and yet people with disabilities pretty much everywhere in Canada are getting far less than that. So, like, what the fuck is up with that? And that wasn't really dealt with. And now we're in a situation where, um, as we go into this election, the three main parties are all offering less than what was actually, inflation adjusted, actually available under conservative governments in the late 90s, early 2000s. Wow, really? So, the current offer from Ford 
is eleven sixty nine a month, which is you know a ridiculously paltry amount. Mm-hmm. Horwath and Del Duca do better; they both tie at fourteen oh three. Although Del Duca should likely be lower, uh, because Horwath is not only more generously inflation adjusted than Del Duca's, it gets to fourteen oh three immediately, and then uh, Del Duca takes uh, a couple years to get there. Still, both bullshit, both utter f- fucking unacceptable. Then, if you compare that to Ernie Eves. Who uh, in March 2004, the inflation-adjusted amount was 1458, uh, and under Mike Harris in 1996, when he took power after the end of the Bob Ray uh, era, it was 1729 inflation-adjusted. Now, this isn't me praising Harris or Eves, no, because of course all. what started to happen was they basically froze and cut amounts such that as inflation rose, disabled people got poorer and poorer and poorer, which is one of the reasons we are where we are now. But to put it in perspective, through no no sense that Mike Harris was nicer to disabled people, you had more money in terms of purchasing power under Mike Harris than you do under Ford or that you would under Horwath or Del Duca. Now, of course, you can say the counterpoint is that over time, the Horwath plan especially, but maybe even the Del Duca one, would get you higher because it would be inflation adjusted, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's still fucking bullshit. The only major, the only leader, and a, a Green Party's not a major party, sorry to the Green supporters, um, but, you know, they, they, they're, they're probably going to cap out at two seats. Maybe they can win Perry Sound, Muskoka. But to their credit, they are the only electable party in terms of even winning a seat that's proposing something reasonable, proposing well over $2,000 a month, which yeah. I'm sure maybe isn't even enough, but is is above what I would say the bare minimum is. If we've recognized that CERB is what you need to survive if you're a regular person who loses their job through no fault of their own and needs help, then people with disabilities deserve at least that much, and frankly... Probably more. Yeah, there's more expenses. People with, yeah. yeah, people with disabilities often have more expenses mm-hmm. and more challenges and more difficulties. And frankly, they probably need li- at least a little bit more than 2K a month to help address those challenges and difficulties and access issues. So, yeah. I mean, like, look, this is a big fuck up for the NDP. Look, some people are like, oh, this is why they're losing, which is no, it's bullshit. That's that people are wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, a, a lot I, of voters beyond do us, not, no. I don't think a lot of people even no. know this is happening. Like, no, like, no chance. Dis- people in disability communities are right to be angry and they're very organized and they're fighting on this. But like if if, if it was about th- this alone, then Del Duca, you know, and, you know, he wouldn't be seeing any rise in the polls, blah, blah, blah. And like the reason that Doug Ford is, is winning, uh, you know, Doug Ford's winning despite having the worst ODSP policy. We like, mm-hmm. But it's about doing the right thing. And I think that like, you know, off the record, I've spoken to many people within the party and uh, many of them have told me they do not support the party's current amount. The party mm-hmm. will argue that it's a 20% immediate increase and that they're looking to go forward with something better and blah, blah, blah. And I've been told by some people within the party that it's not good enough, that they want the Serb amount. Mm-hmm. They want the Serb plus inflation adjusted. Um, and I agree with them. Yeah. And I think this is emblematic. Like, if you want to say, oh, this is the reason she's losing or this is the reason Horwath isn't reaching her potential, I don't think that's reasonable. Like, you know, I, but I do think it can be emblematic of a campaign that's like, like not sufficiently bold. Yeah. Or it's like, why are you compromising here? 
Why are you compromising here? Maybe there are other places in the platform to compromise. Yeah. But the NDP is always going to be tarred and feathered as the party that gives too much to the quote-unquote undeserving lazy people, mm-hmm. right? There are that the NDP will always be called that. So whether we're giving the um, people on ODSP fourteen hundred seventeen two, people are still going to attack us as giving too much money to the poor and undeserving quote-unquote, yeah. right? And so like lead into it and actually take care of people that need it. Um, and if Andrea changes her mind here, yeah, maybe some people will bitch about it and be like, oh, she's so she's so wishy-washy. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't know how to stick to the policy. If they'll compromise on this, they'll compromise. Like, fuck that. No, like, yeah. I mean, it'll be actually a sign of leadership and a little bit of accountability to say, like, you know, I got it wrong. Like, yeah. look, we, we our intent was to build a system that going forward would be sustainable for people uh, who receive ODSP and their families. Uh, and we failed and we were wrong. So we've gone back to the drawing board and here's our new policy. And we're, you know, we've consulted with people within our party and beyond it from the disabled community, from the recipient community. And we've, we've done better. Um, oh, I don't know, man. No, but it, it is. Yeah, I, it's, I think it's important to, cause we, you talked about it there and it is essential that this will hurt people and it is just the right thing to do. And the scary thing is, what we've seen in Canada with the, uh, I guess, advancement or the um, the changes to medical aid in dying here in Canada and the, the absolutely horrific stories that you hear, even in, in places like Toronto, where people who are relatively healthy but live with a disability, a disability like in the case of this uh, anecdotal story in Toronto of uh, being in a wheelchair and then deciding that they can't keep fighting to get money to survive. So instead, what's the one thing the government will help you do? That's dying. So I, I, I think there is such a real danger here to slide into a, a form of autocracy that is truly horrifying to most human beings. Like I think it is a unifying principle here that we could really get behind if we don't realize that, you know, if we don't help people that don't have other opportunities, this whole, and many people have talked about it at length, but the idea that you can help them die as instead of just making sure they can live with dignity is an example of a society that is broken and needs to change drastically today. And we we hear stories like that and it's being reported on. There's so many of these stories that are not being reported on just because simply, you know, that's that's the nature of, of these incidents. If you're hearing about one, there's dozens at least that, that you're not hearing about. And it's just it's not good enough. And the fact that Andrew Horvath or the NDP isn't doing this is a real sign of failing and it's pushing me and I think other supporters away because for a lot of people who support the NDP in Ontario, I think it's safe to say that you have an expectation of trying to do the right thing. When you're pushed against Doug Ford of what we've seen him do during the pandemic, what the essentially the collapse of the neoliberal liberal party and their recitation by this other kind of ghoulish figure, like you want to support a party that will try to be if not the most bold socialist uh, representation of your values, at least always do what we can generally agree on 
is the right thing. And the fact that they're not willing right now today of recording to give people with disabilities the dignity to live. Like, I don't know, man, like it's pushing me away in like a way that you said that it's not making this big loss for people and for general public. I agree. Yeah, but yeah. But I do you're think right, it is hurting the people. It's hurting like them with the activism. Yeah, it might not reflect in polling, but it could yeah. reflect in the 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 one in a moral sense. You're losing a lot of the people who support you most, uh, and in a in a in a practical sense, and this could matter in very close ridings, is that does that person come out to volunteer? Yeah, you know that matters. Uh, an e-day volunteer. I don't know if somebody's ever done a study on it. It'd be really interesting. Political scientists have studied. Like, how much does one volunteer equal in extra votes? Because Mm. it's not just that vote that person brings. They might still go vote for you. I think most of these people will still go vote NDP because it's a sense that, at least in the parties that can win in their riding, it's the party that can win. But, like, the the functional reality is that, like, if that person was a volunteer and they were going to drive people to the polls and help put packages in mailboxes and knock on doors and make phone calls... You might not just lose their vote, but you might yeah. lose five other votes, right? And that, those, yeah, that that could matter, hundred percent. So I think this is a good opportunity to just just dive into the Ontario election here again. If you you want to ask uh, a question, please join our Discord, patreoncom slash Canada. Uh, a lot of questions here today about you know I think we covered a lot of uh, what the NDP is doing with their their policies, and that was uh, a big point here, but. It seems like, and we were in this election right now, that the narrative is all the already being pushed by uh, mass media that this race is already done. Ford is going to win. Here are the numbers in which he is going to win by liberals in second uh, NDP. You know, they did so bad and, you know, there's nothing we can do to change that. Now, obviously, these are narratives being pushed by in organizations that would benefit yeah. from these narratives coming true. But, you know, Christo, of course, you got some polls in your pocket. You know, it's not exactly as, uh, you know, uh, shut and closed like that, right? We, we There's yeah. a little bit more nuance. I mean, I think the best thing to do is to look at aggregates, right? Because polls, mm-hmm. one, can be can have differences. And two, one poll in particular uh, doesn't show everything. I think one thing to kind of look at is the fact that right now, um, according to 338, which generally does a pretty good job, um, what we're seeing is a the liberal rise largely benefiting the conservatives, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the narrative going forward, and, and to the sense that people are strategic voters, is that there's a counterintuitiveness here. Because what this shows is that the Ontario vote projection for, for 338, which again is an aggregate of all the polls... Uh, you could still disagree with their 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 aggregation, uh, but you know they it's better that I think in general than just looking at one poll because while the poll you pick might be right, it might be wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and what it shows is that the uh, conservatives are leading both in votes and seats. Um, they are at thirty eight percent. The liberals are at twenty eight, and the NDP are at twenty three which puts the conservatives comfortably in a majority position, likely with around 80 seats, putting them 17 above the majority uh, mm-hmm. line. Um, the uh, What's interesting, though, 
And this is where the question really has to be asked if you're a quote unquote strategic voter. And this is where I think a lot of liberals are trying to control the narrative is that even with these numbers, with the NDP up five, a uh, down five over the liberals, they still win three more seats than the liberals. Mm. Um, you know, where the conservatives win 80, the NDP wins 23, the liberals win 20, the Greens win the final seat. They keep the, the Shriner seat they have. Um, the fact of the matter is the NDP is in a better position than the liberals, despite that amount, showing that I think the liberals have real vote efficiency issues. Now, maybe those there's there's more of a tipping balance at higher numbers for the liberals. That remains to be seen, but it's all hypothetical. What we see right now is that in what matters in the broken ass first past the post <laughs> system is seats. And I think the ONDP, even with the polling as it is, polls second in what matters most, which is seats. Um, yeah. And so I, I think this idea that like a Ford is guaranteed to win and then also that the liberals are the only ones that could be an alternative is, I think, a narrative being pushed by forces that quickly want to knock the NDP out of the race. Now, of course, um, they, it could well be the case that, that Ford yeah. is guaranteed to win. And it could well be the case that if, um, you know, Del Duca, uh, his polls are moving in the right direction. Uh, continues to rise that he does supplant the NDP as the clear second choice that could happen but as of right now that's still not yet the case and I think a lot of people are being very premature about that mostly people with pro-liberal agendas um, mm -hmm. you know who want to create that narrative but again one thing a couple of things we do have to keep in mind is that the liberals are pushing very hard on, on NDP voters especially but also green voters to come over and support the liberals but it should be remembered that the real difference between this current polling and 2014, which is the last election before the conservative victory in 2018, the big difference isn't the strength of the NDP. It's the pre preservation of the liberal vote the conservatives had. We've talked about mm. this briefly, but if you go back to the 2014 Ontario election and you look at the vote totals, Andrea and the NDP got 22.8% of the vote, which is basically exactly where they are right now in 2022 polling, mm -hmm. right? The difference is in that election, the conservatives got 31% and the liberal, oh, sorry, sorry, actually it was better than that. The NDP got 23, 20, almost 24% polling above where they are right now. The liberals got 39%. And the conservatives got 31%. Meaning, what's happening here isn't a vote split on the left. What's happening here is the liberals' inability to get their own voters in line. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I yeah. always hate this narrative. And this applies federally as well. The fact of the matter is, like, liberals are going to blame this on the NDP voters. But it's it's their 6-7% of voters that flipped from 2014 to 2011, uh, you know, or from 2014 to 2018 to the conservatives, and so far at least have not moved back. Because if you look at the, the, the totals from the last election, the conservatives are mostly status quo where they were in that election. So I mm -hmm. think that's important to note, right? Like that, that the nature of the election is actually more about the, pre the, the, the persistence of right liberals to stay with Ford more than any left-wing vote splitting. Man, it does kind of begs the question if that is the case and if that's where we're finding the numbers and if this is you know where just these people sit 
why again are we not seeing something more bold from the NDP? Like, why are they not trying to push something that is just a little, not a little, but is greatly expanded from their current policies to just make any sort of waves when there's the risk of them losing that to the the liberals who are being moderate? Like, just from what you're painting here, it doesn't seem like that is the real threat. What the NDP needs is something big and bold to try to, you know, find where their ceiling is because the, the, the liberal voters are just switching back and forth between, uh, you know, blue and green, uh, blue and uh, red. So I just, I don't yeah, know. I we mean, say it a lot here I'm on the show, but I just, I'm not getting strategy, it. right? Because like, look, it could well be the case that like they go bold and they go left and they lose harder because maybe, maybe Ontarians don't want that. Like that could be the case, right? Like, yeah. you don't know, right? I, I think yeah. like that question of if they go bold left, they're going to win. That's that's speculative, right? Like at mm-hmm. the end of the day, this is a province that is giving far more of its votes to Ford than any other individual party by quite a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you have to make that decision based on morals. Like you run on those things because that's what your party believes in, right? Yeah. But... um. I definitely agree with you that you should do that because one, that's what your party believes in. Two, I do think there is an appetite for that in Ontario. Uh, and three, you're already branded as such. So right yeah, now you don't point. get the benefit of having those bold policies that might drive turnout, that might pull left-leaning liberals and green voters and things like that. Uh, you don't get the benefit of actually getting that support, but you do get all the drawbacks of like the media branding you as dangerous radicals, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do wonder if even if it's not if that is not the method, like what have we talked about here today on the show? But but how you can get an impact in any sort of media sphere if you're able to connect with people, not in the way that will maybe actually help them, but with big, bold, radical controversies. Why isn't Andrew Horvath coming out and saying, you know, Doug Ford should be in jail because of what he did during the pandemic? He killed people. Like, I I do think that at the very least, maybe it won't have the impact and change that we're talking about policy-wise, but maybe that's not even going to affect people. The one thing that will do is guarantee, I think this is pretty safe to say, that it will penetrate the the news cycle for at least a couple days or a week. Like, I, I just, I don't know why, if they're already portrayed by their worst critics as ghoulish, evil people, and by just the general public and the media at large, as, you know, how are they ever going to afford anything? Why they, they'll never be able to do these policies? Why not try and speak in the terms that actually, you know, that people listen to, especially in this case, when it's correct. Like you don't even need to be too braggadocious in this way. Like this is literally something that is the right thing to do. I do wonder just like if that would have an impact. I don't think we'll see that, unfortunately, although she did come out against uh, Christine Elliott, but it wasn't nearly as vitriolic as maybe it needs to be. Like she's on her last legs here. I I just, I'm not... It's it's surprising me a little bit I mean, of the I way agree. that she, she's she acted do more so of far. that. Although I will say that what I saw on social media, and this includes from people that I would typify as being on the left, at least as much as we are, is that um, people are like she's more effective when she talks uh, positively, which is to say yeah, tone down the attacks. Point. Is mm. some of that misogyny? I don't know. Right? She's a woman. Yeah. Is she allowed to go on the attack if she's a woman? Who knows? I mean, what I do think is that um, right now. They're in a difficult position. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I do think they need to be bold. I do think that they need to change course on um, on ODSP. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if that doesn't move the polls, but as a sign to the base, and frankly as a moral imperative to the most vulnerable Ontarians, she needs to change course. But even today, like, I'm going to be honest, like, the party came out with a decent policy, but, like, you can't run on this. Like, yeah. you can't run on this. I get emails from the party all the time. Let me pull it up here. It was embargoed earlier, but it's not embargoed anymore. And they basically said, you know, Andrea is going to announce a plan to lower auto insurance rates by 40% by fixing the auto insurance industry. Great. We're going to ban postal code discrimination, ban auto insurance rate increases for 18 months, appoint a commission to recommend a new system, a public or partially public system, or major reforms to the existing system. However, when you look at all the facts, it's clear that public auto saves people thousands. See attached for cornucopia of bar graphs. Why the fuck... Is that last line so goddamn complicated? Why are they like, oh, we're going to appoint a commission? And it's going to yeah. be, no, it's dumb. It's dumb. You're already saying what needs to be said. We will implement public auto insurance in our first term. Mm-hmm. We, that might and it makes sense because she's about to have a big yeah. uh, rally yeah. uh, in Brampton where there is yeah. exactly that. So you the say our first step because you can, you know, taking setting up a new corporation might take some time, reasonably so. But immediately we're going to ban postal code discrimination and we're going to ban auto insurance. And I think this is one of the things that the NDP needs to get better at. It's not even always an issue of like not left enough to left, just the right amount of left. It's shitty political marketing. We talked about mm. this last episode. The NDP's plan objectively does more to help transit long term and medium term. Objectively. But buck a ride which is a cheeky little shot at Ford, which non-Ford voters will love. Anybody who's not a conservative will love that little joke. They'll get it, right? Um, yeah. And they can say to themselves, if I vote liberal or if the liberals win, I get X amount of dollars, right? I, I can see it. Mm-hmm. I can see the amount, right? And voters have a right. I, I, I You know, rich people get to vote based on tax cuts all the time. Why shouldn't poor people get to vote on benefit? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, you know, rich people know that if I vote conservative or I vote Republican in the states, I'm going to save $50,000 on taxes or whatever it is. So damn right, I'm going to vote Republican and donate $15,000 to them because, frankly, that's a bone. That's a, a bargain for the, the return on investment I'd get if they win. And, you know, mm-hmm. they and they, they deliver the tax cut. And so it's I think part of the issue is like the marketing has to be clearer. Right. The marketing has to be clear, like on these policies. And I think that's yeah. a big issue. This goes back to the federal election. We talk about this all the time. The student loan cancellation program. You know, we can have this debate about whether the loan cancellation should be full or partial or whatever. But whatever it has to be, it has to be immediately clear to anyone reading it what they will get. Mm-hmm. Like conservatives will say because conservatives will say this and they said this about Biden who's leaning towards doing like a 10k cancellation. I think that's what it'll eventually land on. And the discourse is like, oh, this is just bribing voters. Of course, they'll never call a tax cut a bribe. They only call yeah. handouts bribes and only when those handouts, quote unquote, go to the poor or to the middle class or lower middle class or whatever. But fundamentally, yeah, some voters and like, why the fuck not? You need yeah. it, man. Like, well, like, come on. Some voters, why the fuck not, are like, hey, my vote has, pay me for my vote. Pay me. 
pay me for my fucking vote. And if the NDP is like, well, we're going to get a Mexican rebate and it's going to have a long-term thing on the table, good, but then also do the Buckaride thing. Yeah. Also do it. Public auto insurance. Great. Like, that's great. Good. But like, don't, or like, or is it going to appoint a commission and do all of this? It's like, no, promise the commission, guarantee changes, guarantee yeah. minimum rate increases, and even say, God, like, just fucking just say it, like, we guarantee minimum increase uh, rate, uh, min- a minimum drop in rates, and if we don't hit those, we will invest in the corporation to ensure that it has sustainability to lower the rates to a certain amount. Like basically yeah. saying the public will subsidize the corporation such that rates hit a certain minimum level based on blah, blah, blah. Promise that. So you can go to someone in Brampton and guarantee them 600 bucks. You say you vote NDP, $600 check. You know why Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, John Ossoff are senators right yeah. now? Because they yeah. pro- they literally said, "You want to? You want this check? You want yeah. this? Vote for me." That yeah. piece of paper, or they use machines down there sometimes. Your little check on that machine that is worth twelve hundred dollars to you. Mm-hmm. They prom- you know, they they, they promised two thousand, then Biden tried to kind of screwed yeah. them on the whatever. They got they got money, <laughs> they got money for their vote. <laughs> The NDP needs to do more things like that. Still with a social justice mindset in mind. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, no, it's not buck a beer, but it's like, you know, and I think they did, I will say yeah. they did a pretty good job with that early on with the reforms to mental health, where even yeah. in the minutia, you kind of looked and said, like, well, what is it like eight to 12 visits with a psychiatrist? Yeah. Maybe nine. Yeah, that one's a good like, one. That's not really as effective. But the advertising was, you know, we will make sure that that everyone gets to see a psychiatrist in Ontario for free. And that is like, that's huge. That will change the life of millions of people. And that was good. But absolutely, I think you really hitting the nail on the head when it comes to the financial embitterment of Ontarians or even more broadly Canadians why is it that progressive parties and the NDP are so shy from just saying we will give you more money yeah. that it need it's almost needs to be hidden yeah. in this veneer of you know progressivism some so of that it's not about the money sometimes direct handouts can be seen partially anathema to investments in social programs it's one of the challenges oh, and I okay. don't think it's without some reason some people see the the basic income guarantee as a as a as a as a drain on the value of public services like oh we're gonna we're gonna cut social programs and cut public service workers and just give everyone a check um and that is the right-wing interpretation of of basic income but it doesn't need to be the left wing you can have social programs and give poor people more money right like but I, yeah, we live, unfortunately, in this capitalist society where we kind of have to just have to have money. Yeah. You've already deinvested yeah. so many things. So this idea that, you know, this will hurt your ability to provide services. We're already hurting. Yeah. You've already cut the string. Yeah. So we just just let us survive yeah, a little bit. Money. So yeah, people need money specifically with Horvath, because you, you mentioned this, you know, off off the books or what it could be. Who knows? But maybe leadership isn't pushing big. What do you think? This politician, Andrew Horvath, is thinking, considering if she does not win, probably by a pretty large margin, and maybe not even, probably win. Like, she might just have to yeah, win no, she would have to, to win. keep her job. Yeah, yeah. Even if like, Andrew... What, what's she doing? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, look, she has to... Yeah, I, I need to see a little bit more urgency from her, I think, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. it's strange, Because, like, yeah, right? even if, it, like, if it's a status quo parliament, she's done. There's no way she... Because it's not only that, like, this is her last shot. If, like, if we, status quo was that, like every let's say every party just finishes with the exact same seat total like just it's, it's unlikely yeah. but let's just say um 
you know, uh, one, it's her last shot, and two, it's another four years, because Ford will have another majority, would get four more years or so, give or take, and so there's no way Horwath is going to run in 2026. Um, the only yeah. way she st- she stays on if she wins any pre if if she wins the most seats if she becomes premier hundred percent she's on then of course um, maybe if 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 she finishes second but it's a really tight minority there might not be an ability to remove her but but for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes this is this is her last kick at the can and yeah I yeah. do think we need more urgency and I think we need a a, a, a clearer pitch to Ontarians about what's being offered. And I do think that the left could could do better and be better served by by making it clear to people like here's the direct economic benefit to to you and your family and to and, and to uh, then uh, if if you vote for us and uh, we don't always do that as good as we should and there are examples of that like even the ODSP as as insufficient as it is in a sense is saying the NDP wins people on ODSP will get twenty percent more and will hike it to yeah. inflation. Um, you know, the NDP has said, and this is a good one too, uh, the, the, o- the ONDP has said $20 minimum wage. That is a good example. The NDP will move mm-hmm. relatively quickly to a $20 minimum wage, which of course is for a lot of people, uh, everybody making between what the minimum wage is now and $20 will benefit from that. Um, mm-hmm. That's good, right? Um, but I, maybe there needs to be a little bit more of that. One thing I just want to quickly read is Jugmeet has put out a, uh, a statement yeah, actually please go ahead. Uh, on uh, what happened today. Um, in, in Peterborough, he says, uh, thank you to everyone that has reached out to me after yesterday. Sorry, it happened yesterday. Sorry. A- after yesterday's incident in Peterborough, to those who have asked, I am in Charity Kala, uh, rising spirits. It's a, it's a Sikh, uh, kind of a Sikh term. Uh, I want to especially say to the people of Peterborough, I have visited many times and I know your community is filled with good people who want the best for each other. Sadly, polarization and disinformation are real dangers to our society. While disagreements are fundamental to a thriving democracy, hatred, violence, and wishing death threats or wishing death upon others threaten it. Uh, politicians must remember the consequences when they stoke fear and division. When hate is given space to grow, it spreads like wildfire. This is why we must always confront it, giving it no space to take hold, no room to grow. Peter bro, I love you. Don't worry, I'll be back. Bang on. Well put. A little bit of a Jesus shot there. Man. I assume at, at Paul Yevra and people like him. Um, with that, Man. you know, politician. He's gonna be. He's Polly Ever is gonna be prime minister, and then I think Singh is gonna beat him. Like I, I do think well, we will have this dude. I mean, as we'll, prime we'll see what happens, right? Point. I mean, like, but right, like, like that was a good statement, and it's it's definitely. Um, I don't know. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how. I don't know how Singh has it. Yeah. Like, look, like, I, <laughs> and, and this wouldn't be appropriate if a politician. Like, I don't know how he hasn't like just like started screaming back at them or like, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't even know. I don't even know, man. I don't know how he does it. I do no, not man. know how he well, does it. He's got the nerves of, of steel <laughs> to just, just chill. Like you have to watch the clip. It's like not to, like, I'm not like, I'm sure he has concerns and Singh will say that, you know, it was yeah. obviously not fun. Um, but like, my goodness, you walk through that, like you see that and he's just nerves of steel. Like he's just walking through and it's no big deal Like to not give them the satisfaction. Right. Like just to be yeah, like, no, absolutely. Yeah. It's it is like and I, you've heard stories and I think this was going around on on Twitter and, and obviously is a common refrain. But for people of color who are visible minorities, you know, this sort of behavior 
has to be trained early on because our society is so fucking broken and terrible. So that like Zen like patience that Singh has to show is as other people of color in Canada have said is a requirement so they could have survived when they were younger and not in positions of power. But it's more sickening now that even as Singh is reaching one of the highest positions, like one of the most recognized people in the country, a, a, a leader uh, that is respected by, I think it's safe to say, millions of Canadians, he still has to be seen in this sort of way. And and like, if he did start screaming or, or reacted as I think you would almost expect people to react when they're being assaulted and attacked in this way, you know, I, I can't imagine what the mainstream public would say yeah. if, if that happened. I don't think it would be just supported. Like it just, it shows that our society is still broken and busted. And just to leave you with a, a little, another taste of, you know, just how, how bad it can be. Uh, we talked about this obviously over the past several months when there was, um, homeless people living in different parks in Toronto. There was outreach workers there trying to help them. And you saw it on video where the police came, the city of Toronto spent millions of dollars to just beat the shit out of everyone yeah. and throw them out of there. In some cases, because they needed the park to film a movie set, which is insane. Yeah. In other cases, it was just because someone complained. So the outreach workers have said in the months that followed that the, the way to solve this is very simple. We need to make sure there is more services for people in need. Uh, we need to make sure that there's uh, certain bed totals each night that have radically changed. And we need to open up our empty buildings in Toronto for accessibility services because the people living in parks, you know, maybe can't have access to what's already there. And one of the big things announced today that the city of Toronto is doing instead of that, private security guards will be patrolling a handful of parks 24 <laughs> seven this summer to deter people from setting up encampments. And uh, yeah, it was announced today and they're having to defend it. Brad Ross, who is the city's uh, chief communications officer, just had to say ludicrous stuff about, you know, it's not going to be that bad. It won't be platoons of, of people like what you've seen. But like, I'm, you know, fool me one sort of thing, right? Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure it's going to be horrific. And it's just like, you know, when we know what the problem is, when we were outraged, the fact that the people in power decided this is maybe one of the more public solutions to that problem. It's like, how far do we have to go yeah. here, man? Like, how do we, and then, how do we do this? Yeah. Yeah, 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 you're right, 100%. And I wonder, I even wonder if the police are mad about that, because private security, that's taken away from their overtime. I wonder if the, finally a policy the cops won't support. It'll be interesting to see if the police... <laughs> yeah, if that'll, yeah, if that'll, if that'll, that'll, that'll be it. what, we'll, the, we'll what gets them. Because normally, <laughs> it's like when, whenever the government does, like, you know, these privatization things and all that BS, it's it almost always exempts the cops. Like, when they freeze wages, they don't freeze yeah. cop wages, right? You know, uh, mm -hmm. but one thing I just want to mention is yet another example. In the Canadian media... Uh, did this as well, but there was a um, new story about oh, yeah. a journalist oh. uh, killed in Palestine, uh, and the discourse around it was absolutely ridiculous. Most sources mm -hmm. using that sort of neutral language, uh, Canadian sources yeah. uh, included, uh, basically saying that this journalist, you know, died in this sort of raid, uh, that it was like this, you know, like that kind of like, uh, you know, uh, person did dies an officer related incident but one of the worst ones i believe was from forbes 
where they basically said um, journalist hit in head with bullet in like Palestine or Israel, right? And it's just another Jeez. sign that like we have a long way to go when it comes to um, uh, you know uh, justice mm. in terms of how we cover this issue. Uh, sources will continue to uh, sanitize the actions of Israeli forces as they murder Palestinians and as they murder journalists, uh, as they destroy things, uh, just, um, just, just really awful. Right. And I think it's just something we have to keep an eye out for because, you know, so much is going on right now and you're going to see, um, you're going to see a lot of these, these, uh, these, these instances, right. You're going to see a lot of these instances. Yeah. I do think it's important again because we talk about all these these horrible little uh, nuggets here. But the main focus, and I hope you got this from the show this week, and maybe the show in general, is that it's important to ask and demand for more yep. and for it to be yep. better. It's not just you know this is so horrific. What we know what we have to do. Yep. We have to demand better. And the people who are on the ground working in these situations. They know what's needed. They know what's needed to help these organizations. The people working in media outreach know how we can make media more equitable so that we don't have these these horrible oversights. You know, the people that are advocates for the disabled communities know what is actually needed by them. So the fact that things are horrible, people are doing terrible, terrible things, you know, we shouldn't just, and if you are a part of doing this, like, just stop, man. You, you don't need to just shrug your shoulders and say, that's it. It's it's too bad because the people who are really involved and directly affected by this, they know what's need to be done. So just highlight those voices. Keep fucking fighting, folks. And uh, yeah, next week we'll be talking more about the election. We'll see how far Bitcoin goes. And yeah, but hopefully we'll have uh, nothing quite as horrific as what we saw this week. But I do feel like I say that every week. So that's all from me. Christo, anything else? Well, everyone have a good week. Uh, And we'll see you next time.